my name's Pauline. In the six, are we reading today, sorry, from um, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be, he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, I want to add my welcome to Mark's, welcome to December, welcome to Christmas time at Central Villages. Uh, this week, next week, and then uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we're going to take some time together to marvel at what God did. Uh, because the world changed forever when Jesus was born, reality changed, life as we know it changed, because God became human. Now, the divine, eternal Son of God chose to add a human nature alongside His divine nature. And in that moment, he became fully human, human in body, human in mind, human in emotions, human in temptations. In that moment, God truly felt what it was like to be one of us. God the Son chose to become like us in every way. Now, I wanted to call this talk today, God in Skin, but I was told by my expert panel that that was far too gross sounding, so we scrapped that. And then I tried out uh, Meet God because I thought that was a really funny play on words, like, you know, you can meet God because of the meet God, and I was told that was really tacky. Um, so we've settled for God in the flesh. I hope that doesn't gross anybody out, but I also hope that it actually blows your mind a little bit today to stop and mean about, think about what this means, for God to be in the flesh. I mean, remember back to those deep, dark days not so long ago of Zoom, where the only way we knew how to relate to one another was through a screen and maybe over the phone or through text. It kind of stunk. But remember that precious moment when we got back together, when you got to see friends face to face, when you got back to church and we could look around and sing together. It was profound because being in the flesh is a powerful thing. Being in the flesh is better by far than the alternatives. And so for God to be in the flesh, it, it, it is frankly kind of hard to overstate just how big a deal that is for us. God in the flesh is a powerful statement from God to every single one of us. It's a powerful statement that says, I want to be known by you. God wants for us to be able to tangibly relate to Him like we would relate to one another. 
It's a statement from God saying, your humanity is not a barrier to you being with me. Yes, you are just a creature, but a creature can be one with God. It's a statement that says, I will come to you, I will be with you, I will represent you. Jesus lives the life that we could never live, and then he dies the death that we should never want to die for our sins. He carries us. He says, you're with me, I'm going to take you home to the Father. A big, powerful statement from God. That's all nice, though. But what do you actually do with this? How do you stop this from just being a kind of weird, abstract, theological truth that we ponder once a year? How do you respond to the news that God has taken on humanity? And at this point, I think it's really helpful for us to actually jump into the Christmas story and to experience God becoming a human through those who first encountered it. Mary, Joseph, they're the the first humans who have to wrap their minds around this amazing, wonderful mystery that God could be in the flesh. They told their story to Luke, and Luke recorded it for us in his gospel. We read it a couple of minutes ago. And it helps us to ponder the significance of what does it mean for us that God would become man? We'll go through it a little bit. The first thing to notice is that this pregnancy announcement is actually one of two pregnancy announcements. If we'd started our reading a little bit earlier on in Luke's Gospel, we would have read all about John the Baptist's pregnancy. It gets announced right before Jesus' pregnancy, and it's obvious straight away that there are so many similarities between the two of them. Both are announced by the angel Gabriel, God's messenger. Both are about a, a seemingly impossible, humanly speaking, pregnancy. It shouldn't happen. The mothers are just not capable of having babies at this point. At both times, the parents initially freak out at the news that this baby is on the way. At both times, the baby has these promises made about him. He's going to be used for big things in God's plan. All these similarities. And it's so cool what God has done here. He has deliberately put Jesus' birth announcement right next to John the Baptist's birth announcement. And so we're supposed to actually look at the two of them at the same time and kind of see the contrast You know how those superannuation ads put it? Compare the pair, right? One is mighty impressive, but the other is even more impressive still. Uh, Typically, typically the the way you do a comparison kind of tactic is you you try and make something look great by comparing it to something rather abysmal. And I always think about this at the Olympics. You know, we sit there in our lounges criticizing these world-class athletes. What they actually need for our benefit is a bit of a control test, right? You know, make some ordinary Joe Schmo climb to the top of the diving tower and, like, prod them off the edge, probably have to use a stick or something to get them to do it, and they flail down, do a giant belly flop, and suddenly we'll go, ah, I get it, this is ridiculously difficult. Or, you know, put one of us in the judo arena. It looks like they're just kind of prancing around for 10 minutes, and, but, but actually, I'm sure it's incredibly difficult. I'm throw, sure any of, one of us would just be tossed out of the arena. That kind of comparison helps you to understand just how freakishly impressive these athletes are. That's how comparisons are usually done. Compare the thing against something abysmal and you realize how good it is. When God does his comparison though, this is not the game that he plays. God doesn't want to show us how great Jesus is just by comparing him to something rubbish, but instead he chooses to show us how great Jesus is by comparing him to the best. We hear about John the Baptist and his coming and we think, crikey, this is an important person. We get told, he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He is great in the sight of God. People are excited about his birth. He is the first messenger sent from God for hundreds of years. He's close to God. But then you look at Jesus and you realize he's not just close to God, but he is God. 
gets put like this, verse, verse 30. The angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great. will be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus isn't just the lead-up act to God. Jesus is us meeting God face to face. Again, in verse 35, it says, The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And, and as the angel gives this kind of big birth announcement, prepping everyone's minds of the significance of what's happening, makes it very clear that this, this Son of God has a massive role to play. Verse 32, He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, in order to appreciate this little statement, you have to actually know your Old Testament history a little bit. If we jumped back in time a thousand years before Jesus, you get King David. And in, and in places like 2 Samuel 7, God lays out these mega promises to David about a king who's going to come from David's line, who will rule forever, who will see God's complete blessing get poured out on his people. Ever since that moment, ever since those promises were made, God's people have been kind of on the hunt. Where's this king coming from? And one after another, kings in David's line have stepped forward and they've shown themselves to be dismal failures. Israel's history is full of these kings who look like they're the real deal but then turn out to be a total sham. And Israel still finds themselves hunting. Where, where, where is this guy coming from? Right up to Jesus' day, they're still hunting. It's a little bit like the Australian Idol auditions. You know, one king walks out onto the stage, he looks impressive for a moment, but then he stuffs up, he shows his humanity, he shows his sinfulness, he shows that he is not up to the task of being God's representative. And so Israel kind of boos them off stage and says, next, and they keep on going through them all. Until by Jesus' day, they're thinking, maybe this is just not happening. And so this promise to Mary that the king is finally coming, it is a big deal. Her man, her son, is going to be the heir. He is going to be God here amongst us. He's going to be the one bringing this gorgeous kingdom into existence. And so one thing should be really clear to us as we think about the significance of, of Christmas and God becoming man, it's that Jesus is no mere religious leader. People think that. People put Jesus in the same kind of category as like Muhammad or Buddha or maybe some kind of modern day religious guru expert person. We do our kind of comparative religions thing and, and people just kind of brush over Jesus. They misrepresent Jesus. They think he's just a brilliant teacher. But it's so different to that. We, we, we've got a category for, for great human person who represents God. That's John the Baptist. Muhammad and Buddha and the wellness guru, they're in the category of John the Baptist. But Jesus stands alone. Jesus stands above. Jesus is in a whole other category. He didn't just promise to teach us the right way. But instead he comes along and he says, I am the way. He, he doesn't come along and say, I'm going to tell you all sorts of good things about God. He comes along and says, I am the God you're seeking to get to know. When you're a Christian, you're not just following a wise man, you're following the God man. And questions start popping up at this point. And, and a big question is, how can this be possible? Because there's just so many improbabilities about this whole God-man arrangement. And, and Mary, she's spotted the first one and the obvious one. She's a virgin and she's no dope. You know, she might be young, but she knows how babies are made. She's had that PE class talk or she's talk, had the birds and the bees chat with her mum. And so she asks in verse 34, she says, how will this be? 
since I'm a virgin. She's like, oh, this sounds tops. I'm, I'm happy that God's king is coming, but I don't actually have the ability to get pregnant right now. So, so how? How can I bear this responsibility for bringing God's king into the world? We want to ask the same sort of, how does this work question? Like, you know, how is it possible for a pregnancy to happen without some sort of physical interaction? How is it possible for God to be combined with humanity, united with humanity, but still maintain his divinity, still maintain his perfection? So many questions. So many ways this just looks impossible, looks crazy, looks stupid. And so the angel's answer to Mary's question is really important. The angel says to Mary, don't you worry about it. God is going to make it happen. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary's sitting there thinking, how on earth am I going to pull this off? This sounds so challenging. And, And the angel's answer is, relax, Mary. It's not being left up to you. You're not being asked to put in any effort into this. Actually, that's not quite true. She is going to be pregnant. She is going to have to give birth. And let me just be very clear, there's effort involved in that. I've seen lots of effort. But, but the point is that, that God is the one in control here. God is the one making it happen. God is the one doing all the heavy lifting. God is the one doing all the special stuff. The angel assures Mary, you'll be pregnant. Just like your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And then the angel makes it really clear, for nothing is impossible with God. Don't you love that line? What an important line for us to burn into our brains. Nothing is impossible with God. That is our God right there. The God who is in the business of doing what is otherwise impossible. God sees things, good things, powerful things, things that we should want, and He goes, that is impossible on your own. And so He just goes and does them for us. He doesn't leave it up to us to achieve these critical things, like our salvation. He goes, no, I'm not leaving that up to you. I'm just going to go and do it for you. The the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel, God goes, nah, not going to leave this up to you guys, it's far too important, I'm going to do it for you. The restoration of this world, putting it back together the way it should be, no brokenness, no wrong, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, God says, that is way beyond you. Try as you might, make your society as great as you possibly could, you're never going to get there, so let me do it. Because nothing is impossible with God. God says, trust me, my words are truth. If I say it's going to happen, it's as good as done. That that line, nothing is impossible with God, it can also be translated, and I think this is how it actually gets put in our new NIVs, no word from God will ever fail. That that is, God's ability to do stuff is 100% kind of paired up and synced up with His words. His words carry power. What He says goes. I'm sure you've had the experience before of uh, offering to do something for a friend and then you suddenly realize that you've bitten off way more than you can chew. Uh, We had this experience babysitting once, some friends of ours, this is before we had kids, they asked us to babysit and we thought, yeah, fine, sounds great, we'd love to. And they're like, are you sure? These kids are a handful. Like, nah, we got this covered, you know, we're we're, we're thinking about having kids ourselves and we're going to get ready, this is going to be a great experience. Like, okay, if you insist, they walk out the door. Within 20 minutes, we've got a screaming baby, we've got a toddler ransacking the house, we do not know what to do, Alison and I are looking at each other going, is this what parenting is like? Because if so, I'm not so sure about this whole jam. Uh, We're texting the parents going, is this normal? We overestimated our capacity, well and truly. We overestimated our ability. 
We bit off more than we can chew. You've probably done the same. But God doesn't live like that. God never bites off more than he can chew. God never has to have that awkward conversation with someone where he has to kind of backpedal on his promises. When God says something, he has the strength to see it through. When God says something, he has the wisdom to see it through. When God says something, he has the loving heart to make sure he sees it through. God gets it done, even if the thing that he's planning on the surface, if left up to us, would just be impossible. His word means something. I hope you believe that. God comes into the world at Christmas time and makes these promises that he himself will be with us, will heal us, will restore us, will pick us up and carry us home. And the question is, what's your response? And a helpful way to, to think about your response is to actually to look at the contrast between Mary and Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Now, Zechariah got told the same sort of news as Mary, that you're going to have this miraculous baby and it's going to change your world. Zechariah, though, he really struggles to believe what God is saying. You know, he, he mumbles these excuses like, it couldn't be possible, I'm far too old, and my wife Elizabeth, she's far too old. It's just not possible, God, you've made a mistake. And clearly, in his heart of hearts, that's what he actually thinks. He thinks, God, this is not going to happen. I'm not sure if you can pull this one off. We, we know that that's what he's thinking because the angel tells him off. The angel's like, Ex excuse me? Like, five minutes ago, I was standing by God's right hand at his throne and getting given this message to come to you, and now here I am delivering the message, and you're like, no. Like, like who, who are you to say no to God? Bit of a whack across the back of the head for Zechariah. He gets made mute as a result, just temporarily, but, but you know, to really rub in, you are not speaking wisdom at this point. Stop doubting God. We see that in Zechariah, this, this denial that God can do it. And, and when you look at Mary's response to getting given the news that she's going to bear this miracle baby, at first it sounds very similar. You know, she says, how can this be, for I'm a virgin? You know, it seems as though she's really unsure about the whole thing. But it's fairly obvious that she's not actually doubting, she's actually more curious. Because she doesn't get the same kind of smackdown from the angel that gets delivered to Zechariah. For Mary, she is curious. She's just heard God make this whopper of a promise, and she's wondering... How can he do it? Because I can't see it. Does not compute. Goes way beyond my ability to understand how it could possibly work. But does she doubt that it can happen? No. She has this attitude of, I don't know how, but I trust you. I think that's the attitude that we're being called to have as we come to God. I don't know how, but I trust you. Because God makes them some whopper of promises to us, doesn't he? Big, chunky, life-changing, eternity-shifting promises. They seem far out. They seem unrealistic. Are we going to believe him? It's okay for us to wonder how. That's normal. But are you going to trust that he can? Are you going to be able to say, along with Mary, I am the Lord's servant, May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, our God is good to us. Our God makes massive promises to us. 
And he doesn't leave us with them just kind of hanging out there. He hangs them onto Jesus. He turns up in the flesh. He lives the life that we could never live. He dies the death we never should want to die. Jesus is this man who we can see God's promises coming to life through. But we hear about him through his word. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust that God has not bitten off more than he can chew when it comes to the promises that he's made to you? Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when Jesus is sent into the world, he changes everything. Changes how we view ourselves, changes how we view you, gives us hope that we are not so far gone from you, that we are not fundamentally needing to be apart from you. Thank you that Jesus heals that that sin-filled divide that exists between us and you. He takes on our humanity, but more than that, he takes on our sin. Lord, at that time, when the announcement was made to Mary, she didn't get it, but she trusted that you would keep your word. And you make promises to us that seem far-fetched, seem out there, seem crazy, seem impossible. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the same approach as Mary, that we would go, I don't get it, but I trust you. Lord God, help us to see your trustworthiness this Christmas. We pray that in Jesus' name.